All right, we're in the middle of our series called Unlikely. If this is your first time here, one of the things we do here at One Church is we preach through series. And uh, we're in this series called Unlikely. The big idea, the whole uh, the background of this series is God uses unlikely people to do some unlikely amazing things. Last week, we looked at a dude, a leader, um, who was yellow, who was a coward. And God showed up and saw something in this guy named Gideon that Gideon didn't even see in himself. He, God showed up. And Gideon's knees were knocking, he was hiding out, he was sweating profusely, he is scared to death from some bullies, and God shows up and says, hello, mighty hero. It's amazing that God can look in a person like Gideon, but also like you and me, and see some potential, see something there that we don't even see ourselves. That is amazing. You know, because some of you, I don't know if you, me, you know, I was never the first person picked to get on a team, right? <clears throat> I don't know if anybody else was like that. Maybe you were in the in crowd and you were like the first person, but third grade, okay, thanks, Stephanie. Um, you know, third grade, you know, you know, everybody's trying to, you know, who's going to get the kickball, you know, and who's going to get on the team. And, you know, I probably wasn't the first one. I probably wasn't the last one, but I was probably more lower than upper when it comes into draft choices. And you may be like that as well. You may feel like that just right now that you just, you're just not doing anything and you're in this holding pattern and that you really aren't being used by anyone. You can't, you're no of help to anybody. I mean, you're not making an impact. You're not having any influence. And the thing I really want to burrow down deep today is that even though you may feel that way, that is wrong because you do have influence. I mean, you think about it. The people that influenced you the most. It's probably a mom. In fact, many of you, if you haven't called your moms, you're going to. All right? Um, it may have been a dad who stood up for you and saw something in you and that was your biggest encourager. It may have been an aunt or an uncle. It may have been a cousin or a friend. For some of you, it was a teacher who in fifth, sixth grade, and, you know, you were very awkward and get ready to go through the, those inhuman preteen years, you know, with puberty and all that stuff, they saw something in you through pigtails and braces and freckles that you didn't even see in yourself. They saw potential. And those people inspired you, encouraged you to do something. In fact, some of you, the career cho choice that you're on right now is really, it really wasn't even because you liked it. It's because somebody encouraged you and they saw something in you. They inspired you to do something. Inspiration. You know, I, I, when I think of inspiring leaders, the people I immediately, my mind goes to is, is probably some people who speak publicly like a, a Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, was a Baptist preacher who in Montgomery, Alabama, decided, you know what, enough is enough, and rallied around Rosa Parks, an, a, an older lady, African-American lady, who said, you know what, I'm not going to get up out of my seat. And that started a whole snowball effect during the dark times of the 1960s in the Civil Rights Movement. 
It was Martin Luther King who said, you know what, let's judge people not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Another person who I think of when they're very inspirational and inspires others to do something is, is John F. Kennedy. You know, it was John F. Kennedy that showed up on the scene and, and cast the dream of why don't we send a man to the moon? And it was really that one man's dream that launched NASA and that launched the entire space program that we have now. Because during the dark times of the 1960s, JFK took our mind off of the difficulties around us and said, let's go somewhere. And and other people I think of, and I've read biographies, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, who really kind of looked kind of strange and looked kind of weird. The man had no education whatsoever. He was self-taught. Yet he becomes president. And during the dark times of the Civil War, he unites the North and the South. And he says, you know what? This is what we believe in. We should stand up for, and we're not going to let it go. And he stood up for people who couldn't stand up for themselves, the slaves. Other people, I think of Winston Churchill during World War II, the very dark times of World War II, who stood up in front of the country of England and gave a 14-word speech, never, 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 never quit. To a nation who was bombed out by Germany and really wanted to quit. But he inspired them to stick to it and to hang on and to persevere. You know, all of us have people like that in our lives who inspired us. They probably weren't presidents or prime ministers. But it could have been a pastor. It could have been a Sunday school teacher. It could have been just a a public school teacher. It could have been a mom or a dad. But all of us have have people who have influenced our lives. And the thing I really want all of us to understand today is you can be that person for somebody. You can be that person to somebody, to stand with somebody. And see, some of you right now, I can hear what you're saying. And not because I have Vulcan mind-reading skills. All right? It's because I say the same things as well, these excuses. But I'm just but I'm just a student. I'm just a college student. I'm just a mom. You know, I think mom, you have so much influence because you are molding those kids that are sitting with you. I mean, you have the potential to be their biggest cheerleader. And you as well, dad. If you're a parent, you have power. You have influence. You may not feel like it, but you do. You know, for, for some of you, 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 you feel the just blame. I'm just, I'm just in the army. I'm just a private. I'm just, I'm just whatever it is. But all of us fill that blank in with something. And Gideon filled that blank in, but I'm just a coward. But we saw last week, even when you don't feel like you have enough, when you partner, you're not enough with God. He makes it more than enough. Today, we're going to be looking at a person that filled their blank in with, I'm just, I'm just marginalized. I don't have any title, any position, any power. In fact, people, they, they look down up at me. And some of you, that's exactly where you're at. You don't have people looking up to you. They're looking down. So we're going to be looking at the book of Judges. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Judges. It's the seventh book in the beginning of the, of your Bible. So it's, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, 
Judges, there you go. Thank you very much. All right, so now let me give you some context of this book of Judges. And by the way, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along on it on your smartphones as well. Um, let me tell you about what happened. During the dark days of Israel's slavery, God's people, he chose Israel, and God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And they cried out to God, and God chose a guy by the name of Moses. Everybody say Moses. How many of y'all see movies about Moses, right? The Charlton Heston, you know, maybe the, uh, the, the life according to Brian, you know, these 15, oops, 10 commandments, you know what I mean? Right? <clears throat> so not quite how it happened. But God chose Moses, and God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you speak and inspire my people, God says, and you're going to take them out of Egypt. And Moses is like, but I have a stuttering problem. I don't speak well. I don't do public speaking. Maybe exactly how you feel, all right? But God says, no, 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 you may think that's not enough, but when you take your not enough and you put it with me, you're going to get more enough. And God chose Moses and used Moses mightily. And for the next 40 years, Moses did all kinds of miracles. He parted the Red Sea, turned the the Nile into blood. You know, all these frogs showed up. I mean, all kinds of, you know, the sun and the moon stood still. I mean, all this neat stuff. And God used Moses, and it was obvious to everybody that Moses was the dude. Moses was the leader. And Moses impacted and influenced his community. Now, here's the cool thing, what a wise leader does. A wise leader replaces themselves. And that's exactly what Moses did. Moses said, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I know there's going to be a time that I'm not going to be around. So I'm going to choose a guy to follow me. And he chose a dude by the name of Joshua. Everybody said Joshua. He told Joshua, and he says, listen, you know, I've been leading these people wandering around in the wilderness, but you're going to be a general, and you're going to lead people, and you're going to go into this land God promised them, and you're going to clear out all the bad guys. And Joshua says, okay, there's a problem. Joshua had never led anything before in his life. Everybody's calling him, hey, general, and, you know, he's not even, you know, he's like an E1, right? So contextualizing. That's all I'm saying. All right. So, so Joshua, I mean, for, for the next 40 years, he's driving everybody out. He's driving the bad guys out, all this stuff. Well, there's a problem because Joshua, Joshua didn't replace himself. He, I mean, he just, for some, I don't know if it crossed his mind. I don't know. But Joshua dies and there was this leadership vacuum in, the, in, the, in, in Israel's history. And for the next 400 years, there really wasn't any clear leaders and everything got really messed up and jacked up. Because when leaders don't lead, everybody gets crazy. In fact, Judges chapter 1, verse 1, look at this. This is how it begins. The book of Judges begins this way. It says this. Um, It says, uh, time came after the death of who? Joshua. When the people of Israel asked God, who will take the lead in going up against the Canaanites to fight them? Now, the Canaanites was the enemies. They're the bad guys. That's a great question. Everybody's asking, who's going to lead us? Who's going to lead us? Who will go up before us? Now look at the last verse of the book of Judges. The last one. These are the bookends. At that time, there was no king in Israel, and the people did what? Whatever they felt like doing. How many of y'all have teenagers? Y'all know what this verse is all about, don't you? They, oh, come on now. I'm, I'm preaching now. Y'all getting behind me. I mean, all right, here's the thing. When, I mean, teenagers just feel, well, I'll do whatever I want to do, right? They, sh- you know, they wake up, 
you know, uh, it's amazing how they, they wake up 9, 10, 11 o'clock, you know, they stay up all night. Hey, will you take the trash out? Right? Whatever, right? You hear me? <laughs> but here's the thing we can be like that too because when leaders fail to lead, people just go crazy. People don't do what they should do. And in between that first verse and the last verse of the book of Judges, 400 years pass. And let me tell you what happens in those 400 years. A cycle happens. A cycle happens, and this happens 13 times in the book of Judges. What happens is this. God loves, I mean, God loves his people, so he blesses them when they obey. So God's people listen to God, they obey, and God blesses them, and they get money, and you know, everything's going well, they get influence. And then, because they got money and influence, they kind of forget God, and they kind of put it, everything on auto, you know, auto, you know, pilot, and okay, everything's good, and then they stop, dis, they stop obeying God, they stop listening to God, they start disobeying God, and you know what God does? God removes his blessing. And he, because he loves them, he disciplines them. And he starts sending uh, the Israelites' enemies in to kind of turn them back. And what happens? They fall away from God. The, the enemies start coming and bullying them around. And they go, oh, we, we're, we're all messed up. And they turn to God. God, please help us. You know what God does? He listens to them. And he raises up a leader or a judge in that time. And the judge or that leader would lead the people back to God. Now, that, that's what happened. That happened 13 times in the book of Judges. In fact, when we look at Judges chapter 4, verse 1, as we're going to look at the person we're going to look at today, it mentions the, very, the last judge that happened. It says, a time came after the death. I'm just kidding, let me, wrong verse. After Ehud's death. All right, some of y'all, you thought you had a weird name. This dude got picked on a lot in middle school. After Ehud's death, the Israelites, now help me out one church. What's that next word? Again did what? Evil in the, in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to their enemies. King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of Jabin's army was a fellow by the name of Sisera. Sisera had 900 iron chariots and ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for how many years? 20 years. Now, let me t- give you a little bit of backstory about these two guys, Jabin and Sisera. Now, Jabin's, uh, Jabin's grandfather was the king of Hazor, and Joshua, a hundred years earlier, defeated Jabin's grandfather and totally wiped out Hazor, the city. Well, because the Israelites, they turned from God. Guess what happened? The, the, their enemies started raising up. And here we have a fella who should have been totally wiped out because of Joshua, and you know what, amazingly, Joshua, when he went up against Jabin's grandfather, they had all these iron chariots and stuff. And by the way, the Israelites had no weapons or anything like that. He wasn't afraid because he knew God was on his side. And God fought for Joshua and got rid of Jabin's grandfather. But here they are, 100 years later, and now Jabin's on the scene because the Israelites won't obey God. Now, let me look at this next one. This next dude is Sisera. Now, Sisera was a Philistine, another enemy of God, an enemy of God's people. Let me tell you about the Philistines. Uh, Now, the Israelites, they didn't know how to work with iron. They didn't have any iron. The Philistines are the ones who created the iron-making process. So these Philistines wouldn't share their technology with anybody. 
And they, uh, they gave the Israelites like iron plowshares or, you know, like iron axes, but they would not give any Israelites any iron swords or spears or weapons or anything like that. So they oppressed the Israelites. They kept the technology from the Israelites and they had a monopoly on all the iron and all that stuff. And this guy, Sisera, had 900 iron chariots. Now, this is an impossible situation. These bullies are picking on God's people. And, I mean, the bullies have the technology. They have everything. And these, and the Israelites are just, it's an impossible situation. Now, what do you do when you get an impossible situation? What happens when when you're faced with an impossible situation? And some of you are faced with impossible situations right now. What do you do? Well, let me tell you how God turns an impossible situation into a possible one. Look at this. Verse 3. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. That's an impossible situation. What fixed it? Look at this. Then the people of Israel, what? Cried out to Congress. And Congress passed bills and fixed everything. Is that what it says? All right. I mean, did, uh, were, they, was, were the Israelites saying, you know, if I could just get my party in. And if I could just vote them in, everything would be good. Or, you know what, let's, let's boycott. No, what, what, what did they do? They cried out to who? The Lord for help. Let me tell you, what makes an impossible situation into a possible one is when you and I look to God and say, God, please help. That's what takes an impossible situation and flips it on end. And some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about today because you showed up to church for the first time in umpteen years because you got, you're facing some impossible situations. And you're just thinking in the back of your mind, maybe it's about time that I need to start going to church. And let me tell you, it's not about church. It is about connecting with God. That's the answer. That's what makes Impossible situations, possible. In fact, elsewhere in the Bible, it, it, uh, God says this. He says, with me, nothing is impossible. Without me, everything is impossible. John fifteen five. So if we choose to hook up with God, as unlikely as you may feel, as messed up as you may feel, as jacked up as you know you are, all this stuff, God can, he loves taking unlikely, weird, weak, Normal people like me and like you and going, let me show you what I'm getting ready to do. Now, that is cool. That is that that when the people cried out for help, he took something very unlikely and used it. Now, some of you, you you just have the natural ability to lead. For some of you, you you were like the student body president, right? Some of you, you were like um, you were like the quarterback. Uh, some of you, you were the captain of the cheerleading team, right? You were on the student council. And you're like, yeah, and, and I don't have to convince you. Yeah, I think God can use me, right? But let me tell you, some of you probably weren't like that. In fact, I wasn't like that, right? In fact, even if you were kind of even on the in crowd, you're always worried about becoming your one stupid mistake away from becoming the out crowd, right? Here's the thing. Some of you, you feel like you have no influence. You don't feel like you're, you have any inspiration to give anybody. 
But I want to say you can stand with people. You can choose to stand with them and say, you know what? Let me encourage you. The word for encourage, what's the root word? It's courage. And in, I give. I'm going to infuse encourage into you. And that's exactly what every one of you and I can do. By standing with someone and saying, you know what? I'm willing to go there with you. I'm willing to go there with you. This is really cool this past week. I read on the internet that through every major life change a person experiences, that's moving, um, changing careers, uh, uh, maybe uh, getting married, every major life change that happens to you, you influence 10,000 new people. 10,000. I mean, that's some like six degrees of separation right there. That's cool. I mean, think about this. That when you move, some of you just moved to Clarksville, Fort Campbell, and some of you are getting ready to move away from Clarksville, Fort Campbell, that move, you're going to affect over 10,000 people through your kids and kids, you know, where you go to church and your kids, um, uh, teachers and all of this stuff. New people you're going to meet. Now, let me tell you, that's influence. And let me tell you about one church. One church is 75% military. Let me give you another stat about one church you may not know in the past three years. Every year we lose about 40% of the people at one church. Now let me tell you where we're losing to. They don't go, I can't believe that pastor did. All right? Very rarely do we ever leave, uh, people ever leave mad. Sometimes they do. All right? But let me tell you where we lose 40% of our people. The military. I'm gonna, if you're not military, I'm going to teach you some lingo. Because everybody who are in the military, they, they talk in code. ASAP with the FOB, with the VP, and I'm going to put you on KP with the LMNOP. You know what I mean? <clears throat> some of you military people, I'm like, excuse me, English? In fact, in my last small group, somebody gave... <laughs> this is not in my notes. This is crazy. Somebody gave me an uh, Army's Wives handbook. <laughs> I'm not lying. And said, look in the back... And it gives you all the acrostics, and it spells it out. And, I, and, and I'm reading down the road, you know, how, how you dress for a ball. And uh, I'm in the wrong book. Anyway, so but let, this is what's so cool. Every year, we lose 40% of our people. Now, let me tell you what happens, though. Is they have been at one church, for some of them, for years. And some of you, you have taught their children in second grade. Some of you have taught their seventh graders in relevant student ministry. Some of you, you built relationships because you were in a small group with them or maybe you were a small group leader. And let me tell you what happens is you have influenced them and God picks them up through a PCS and puts them in North Carolina, Fort Bragg, Fort Hood, Texas. Takes them up to Fairbanks. Takes them to wherever... And you, some of you, you have more influence because you serve at this church than so many other people in the world because we're such a fluid church. You literally have the impact to change the world because you teach a third grader. You have that influence because you're a greeter, because you're, you help with set up and tear down, because you're a small group. You just join a small group. Let me tell you, true story. Ryan Millard, our family pastor, He started a small group last year with nine couples. That's 18 people, all right? That ain't a small group. That's a small church. Now, here's the thing about this. Ryan Ryan started with this small group, 
And he is going to group link in August because his group's multiplying and getting new people into that group because that's how we do it. But here's the thing about this. Before they even get to group link in August, out of the nine couples, six of them will have left because of the army, because of a PCS. Six. That's 12 out of 18 couples. And you know what? That's just our church. Now, here's the thing. As a pastor, I can get bitter about that because I love people. I love, and I, I love seeing people's faces, and I can go back and I can see pictures of when we've taken at one church, and whole sections are just gone. And I get emails, hey, listen, you know, we're in Alaska, and it's cold. <laughs> or, you know, you know I, I mean, all kinds of stories. But you have the influence because of your giving here and because of your serving here to literally influence the world because every major life decision, you influence 10,000 people. That is amazing. That is cool. All because you said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm nothing special, but I'll stand along with somebody. I'll influence them. Look at this. Let's keep on reading. Judges chapter 4 verse 3. Then the people of Israel cried out for the Lord for help. How did God answer their help? What's the next word? I'm sorry, let's say that again. Everybody say Deborah. What was the answer to the Israelites' problem? A woman. Now some of y'all are going, all right, all right. Calm down back there now. That gum, all right. What's so amazing is God used a woman three thousand years ago to influence a nation. I'm going to keep on reading. Deborah, the wife of Lapaldith, was a prophetess who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, these are cities, in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. So she was wise and she would say, yeah, let's do this, don't do this, all right? One day she sent for this dude by the name of Barak, all right. Some of y'all think, Obama? All right. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a different person. Barak, one day she sent for Barak, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. So she said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. And she, so she's telling Barak what to do. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, husbands? Keep on going. All right, all right, we'll get in trouble. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun and Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, that's the bad guy, commander of Jabin's army, another bad guy, along with his chariots and his warriors to go to the, this river of Kishon. There I will give you what? Who's going to give the victory? God. There I will give you the victory over him. Now, how does Barak respond? Barak says to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I ain't going. (laughs) Very well, Deborah says, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this virtue venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a... So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and at Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Oh, P.S., Deborah also went with him. All right, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Remarkable moment. 10,000 men ready for battle. They got their fatigues on. Everything's good to go. And Zena, the warrior princess, is at the beginning. <clears throat> I mean, here we have a woman leading them. Now, let me just give you some context. 
This is 3,000 years ago in this culture, not, in, not what the Bible says, but in this culture, women were valued as property. In fact, men would, would marry multiple women because it wasn't about the women, it was about the man. In fact, very interesting, if you read the book of Ruth, just to be able to survive as a woman in this culture, you had to get married. I mean, that is just amazing. But yet God prioritizes those who have been marginalized. And even though this culture did not value women, God highly values women. And, I mean, this is 3,000 years ago. Give you some context. Until 1920 here in the United States, women couldn't vote. 1920. And this is 3,000 years ago. And here you have Deborah going, boys, if you ain't going to do it, I'll lace them up and let's go. Because that is the type of woman Deborah was. Now, by the way, how many of y'all, you're named Deborah? Anybody? Debbie in here? Anyone? How many of y'all know a Deborah? All of us. Do you know what the word Deborah means? Bumblebee. Now, hang on. Why in the world would people still today, moms and dads, get their little girl? Oh, she's just cute. What, is she, what are we going to name her? Deborah. Bumblebee? Why in the world do moms and dads still name their kids Bumblebee? Let me tell you why. Not because it means Bumblebee, but because a godly woman 3,000 years ago said, you know what? I am going to stand. I'm going to do something. That is why. By the way, how many of y'all know somebody named Lapidus? That was Deborah's husband. Nobody knows nobody named Lapidus, right? He's just a footnote in history, Right? It, it was Deborah, it was Debbie who was the one who did something. Let me tell you something about this woman and something about, even though nobody valued her, she was kind of ostracized, she was obscure, God used her mightily. And if you keep on reading, what's amazing is that they win the day. 10,000 people go up against all the bad guys and Deborah leads them. In fact, Jabin, let me tell you what happens to Jabin. This other lady, he falls asleep and Jabin, get, uh, the lady gets a tent peg and does hammer time on his temple. So you ought to read it. You're like, I think that's rated R. It probably is. Read the Bible. It's pretty cool. All right. This is what's so cool. God raises the status of those who have been marginalized. I mean, in China to this day, girls who are born... Many times they're left out to dead because of the population boom and all this stuff, and they don't value women. In fact, even in the church today, this lie has been perpetuated saying, you know what, that women are second class, that women can't do, can't do, can't do. Let me tell you, the Bible only says one thing a woman can't do, and that is being an elder slash pastor. But let me tell you what a woman can do. A woman can teach, a woman can preach, a woman can sing, lead worship. A woman can, can, can work with children. A woman can work, in, I mean, be over entire staff. I mean, the, one of our very first staff hires was a woman. She was our children's pastor, a children's minister, if you will. And you know what? We have a tendency to focus on what one thing that women can't do when God is saying, listen, I want you to do everything else. In fact, if you know this, this is interesting, that if women didn't get involved in churches, there'd probably be no church. You know what I'm talking about? Especially this church. I mean, and we have a lot of godly men who come here, but many times the men, they're over overseas, right? So, you know, when all the guys go, it's me leading a bunch of women and, and some guys. And some of you are going, what are you calling me? I, I, I 
love you, man. We hook up. All right. But I'm just saying, we got a lot of ladies in this church. And I just wanted to let you know that God loves raising the status of those who are marginalized. God wants to use you, even though you might be a woman or a man or a teenager or a middle schooler or a child. He wants to use you. Amazingly enough, you know, Jesus's ministry, it says in Luke 8, how it flourished was because women supported it financially. That's what it says. Read the Bible. Pretty cool. All right. So Deborah moved from just being a woman to being a wife now to being a judge to now being Zena. That's cool. Now look at this. Judges 4, 8. All right. Last verse we're going to look at. Barak, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Deborah decided enough is enough, called Barak. By the way, Barak's name means lightning. Now, that's, that's interesting because Barak here didn't move lightning fast, did he? He was like, I don't know. And you know what? We can make fun of Barak and say, you know what, whatever. But let me tell you, I, I like this dude in here. Because i got to be honest with you, all of us at one time or another have struggled with fear or lack of courage. And usually when somebody says, hey, let's go, we don't move. We're paralyzed with fear. And at least Barack said, you know what, I don't think I can do this, but will you do it with me? Will you go with me? I mean, he was wiser than us in so many ways because so many times, think about opportunities that somebody has brought in your path. And because you were kind of scared or reticent, you didn't jump at it. But what if somebody like a Deborah had been able to stand next to you and said, you know what, if you want to do this, I'll go with you. If you want to do this, I will stand with you. I will encourage you. I, you may not have courage, but I will help give you courage. And that is cool about Deborah. I mean, amazing. What Deborah's special, it, it, what made her special, her willingness to stand. In fact, our big idea today is this. It says this, God can do unlikely things when we stand with others. Let's all say this out loud. God can do unlikely things when we stand with others. That is the key. Who will you stand beside? Who will you give courage to? Who will you inspire? One of my mentors in seminary, his name was Chuck Swindoll, he said this to me. He says, you know what? 90% of ministry is just showing up. And that's true. You know, just showing up and saying, you know what? I'm willing to stand with you. Some of you, how, how you can do this is you can go and you can, you have some people in your community who are struggling, their marriage is struggling, and you can stand alongside her or him and say, you know, let me watch the kids while you and your spouse go out on a date. You can do that. You can have influence. Others, you can help with homeless, and you can have influence with them. Others, you know what, you can go and you can volunteer at a school. And you can be Jesus to other people. Some of you, you can influence others just by saying, hey, listen, I notice, you know, uh, you're my neighbor and like I leave to go to church and you don't. But I would love to invite you to one church. Right? Seriously, you could totally do that. And you can say, you know what, if you think it's all about stained glass and organs, it ain't like that. The, the, the pastor is really weird <clears throat> and the worship leader has tattoos. <clears throat> because that's how we roll. Because we're not... Normal people. And you're not either. And that's okay. Because God loves taking unlikely people and doing amazing things with. And he wants to use you. But 90% of us, you just got to show up. You got to be there. You got to stand with him. As we close, story and we're done. True story of 9-11. You know, all of us, 
because of the whole bin Laden thing, we've been thinking a lot of 9-11 this past week. <clears throat> and I remember where I was at when I was sitting there at 9 o'clock and I saw the first plane, um, the smoke billowing from the first tower and that pl- first plane had just hit. And everybody was thinking, you know, was this, maybe this was an accident, right? And everybody's, and then we saw the second plane hit the tower and we realized this is no accident. I remember my jaw just dropped open. And, and just like you, we were just, we were scared. We were horrified. Our hearts went out to people. Well, let me tell you about another fella who saw the same thing you and I did. His name was Dave Carnes. Let me tell you a little bit about Dave Carnes. Dave was an accountant in Connecticut. And Dave was sitting there watching the same news feed that you and I watched. And he was at his work and he looked at his boss and he says, Hey, uh, boss, I'm going to be gone for a couple of days. I got to go. Where are you going? I got to go. He says, Okay, go ahead, Dave. So Dave goes home. He gets some of his old military fatigues because he used to be in the Marines. And they still fit. So he grabs those. And he gets in his Porsche, his convertible Porsche, and he drives to the church he attends. He's, Dave's a highly committed Christian, and he goes to his pastor, and Dave tells his pastor, I'm going to New York City today. I'm going to help. I'm going to do whatever I can. So the pastor prays for Dave, and he gets into, uh, uh, gets into his car. He goes, and he gets a haircut. He tells the barber, before he leaves, I just want you to shave my head. Make me look like I did when I was in the Marines. And that's exactly what the barber did. And then, with the top down, flying, sometimes going 120 miles an hour, because he took his speeding lessons from me, <coughs> he drove to New York City. It took him all day because of the roads and the congestion and the tunnels. But finally, at 5.30 p.m., he gets on the outskirts of New York City in Manhattan and, the, the, you know, they have these border patrols. They have, people are monitoring it. And they see him in his convertible Porsche with his fatigues on, and they just wave him in. And he gets in there, and he parks his car, and he gets his equipment out. And he, and he goes, and the Red Cross is there, and he's saying, you know what? You guys need to evacuate the area. It's too dangerous. Gas explosions and mains everywhere. You need to leave. And Dave Carnes didn't listen. And he says, I am going to go. I came here, I am going to help. I'm going to stand with somebody. And he goes and he starts yelling for people. He starts yelling and looking for survivors. And what's amazing is within a few hours, Dave Carnes and another guy who showed up, just like Dave Carnes, with an expired paramedics license, they both start digging as they hear these sounds. And they dig and they dig and they dig. And out of the 12 people who were rescued from the rubble after those Twin Towers fell, out of the 12 people, two of them were saved by Dave Carnes. A regular dude who had no title, who was normal, who said, you know what? I'm going to move. I'm going to do something. We all watched the news and it moved us. But when Dave Carnes watched the news, it moved him to action. It moved him so much that he left his job. He left his kids. He left his wife. And he put himself in harm's way. And he says, I'm going and I'm standing with someone. Now here's the thing. Today, you can do exactly what Dave Carnes did. 
You can do that in a couple of different ways. You know what? You can do that by going and serving and doing and having influence with people here in this church or even outside this church. But let me give you another practical way you can do this. You know, a couple, two or three weeks ago, the South, especially the state of Alabama, experienced tons of tornadoes and storms. And I used to live in Auburn, Alabama. And uh, when that all happened, in fact, my wife was in Alabama when all of that happened. One of the things that we're going to do as a church today so that you and I can make a difference and say, I can have, I can stand with somebody, is we're taking 10% of everything that you and I give today and we're giving that to people who are in Alabama. We know people who have boots on the ground in Alabama who we can give this money to and it will make a difference. Now, let me tell you just contextually about this. By the way, if you don't go to church here, we don't want your money. This isn't about getting more money. It has nothing to do about that. We want you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. We don't want your money. And I want you to hear me clearly say that. I really do mean that. But let me tell you just financially what us as a church, where we're at. Our church, our annual budget is $360,000, our annual budget. And right now, we're about $17,000 behind what we thought people would be giving. So a lot of people, when we were talking about this, you know, we had to ask ourselves the hard question, is this the right timing? But you know what? We asked that question for about a millisecond. And we said, you know what? Here's the, here's the deal. We can't outgive God as a church. And let me tell you this. You can't outgive God either. So I'm just saying, we're going to do it. Because we know people who are hurting and you can have a real influence and difference in their life just by giving something. So my challenge to you today as a church, not guest, but as a church, we're asking you to give 10% today. And we're going to take your 10% and we're going to give that, that 10% and we're going to give that to Alabama. And we believe that God can use your faithfulness And I'm just going to say that we didn't say this in the first service. If you need your money back, we'll give it back to you. But you know what? Of all the times I've said that, and many times at one church and other churches I've served, we've never had to do that. Because let me tell you something about God. When you give everything to God, he will multiply it. All right? I mean, you remember Jesus and the disciples? The disciples had five loaves of bread and two fish, and they gave it all to Jesus. And what did Jesus do with those five loaves of bread and two fish? Fed how many people? Five thousand people. Why? Because when you give your all to God, God will multiply it. He will take what you think is unlikely and he will go, bam, and make it and and do something amazing with it. So I'm going to encourage you. The band's going to come out and I'm going to pray for this offering. And I'm going to challenge you. If one church is your church, would you consider giving? If you don't have, uh, you know, you know, cash or checks, and most of us don't anymore, I would encourage you to go to our website and give electronically. You can hit give online and you can do that. I would encourage you, make a difference where you're at because God has given you everything you need to do to be able to do something unlikely. Let's pray.